In a one-on-one -on -one conversation on June 12, 2013, award-winning directors Pam McKinnon and Kathleen Marshall spoke with SDCF producing director Ellen Rusconi about building their artistic careers. Listen as they discuss the nuts and bolts of the rehearsal process, from the illuminating qualities of auditions and early design meetings to the continuous evolution of a piece as gauged by audience, producers, and associates. This candid conversation offers practical knowledge about creating career inroads, aligning collaborators, and continuously developing craft. Hello, I'm director and fight choreographer Erica Gould, and you are listening to SDCF Masters of the Stage. This program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation and presented by the American Theatre Wing. The SDCF has released these archives in an effort to further education regarding the crafts of direction and choreography. Because this program was not initially recorded for the purpose of broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. Portions of the conversation may have been edited to improve the overall quality of the broadcast. Looking back at how you got to this point, what were the specific qualities or experiences that helped you move forward and that made you believe that you could choreograph and direct? It's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I didn't go to school for this. Um, I was studying something I, uh, uh, completely different. I was in a PhD program um, for political science out at UC San Diego, and I dropped out. And um, I dropped out because I realized that pursuing a PhD meant the questions I was being forced to ask in that field were getting smaller and smaller and my 22-year-old brain wanted bigger and bigger questions. So it was just at cross-purposes with who I was. And I had acted a lot, starting in even late elementary school, through early college, directed a little bit in high school. And so I went back to something that I knew um, I loved. Um, and so then, in building a career, I, you know, I, I, I came to New York a few years after that, and it, uh, I, 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 I was surrounded by a few very um, dear, very talented, um, ambitious in their own quirky way, uh, friends, and we sort of grew up together. And so that was, you know, working downtown. Um, I'm now the chairman of the board of a really important downtown company for me when I first moved here, Club Thumb. So they continue to be a thriving company. Um, and I think I directed six of their first nine productions. We formed it. These were people from UCSD. So I went to graduate school for theater in my fashion. I dropped out in San Diego, started to, like, I still had a student card, so I could still sign out cabaret space. So it was, it was very, and they were like, you look older than an 18-year-old undergrad. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, and, you know, so it really was, and that was the first time I ever worked with um, playwrights. Uh, I also sort of realized, um, kicking around New York early on, that there are a lot of us kicking around New York early on, and that artistic directors, it was my experience uh, those first few years, they would clam up around me because they thought that I was knocking on their door to get a job, and maybe I was. Um, and I realized really early on that literary managers didn't clam up. Literary managers really don't have as much power in a theater, but they have as much love for the craft, and they also have desk drawers full of plays that they wish their artistic director would take seriously. And those became really great conversations, and a lot of them became great friends. And, you know, some of those 
plays in the drawers of literary managers at larger theaters were plays that I then convinced Club Thumb, a much smaller theater, to do. So that was a really important discovery for me. Um, I could go on, but that's sort of the beginning of my journey in New York. Well, I think it's interesting because every director choreographer I know sort of had the same kind of journey. Um, which is that starting off as performers, as dancers, who then became dance captains, became assistant choreographers. I started assisting my brother Rob before I then got an opportunity. To, my first opportunity to choreograph my own was actually through John Kander. I had assisted mm -hmm. my brother on Kiss the Spider Woman, and John Kander had a friend, a director named Michael Leeds, who was directing a review, who needed a choreographer. Um, John recommended me. And that little review, Swing Out on a Star, actually became my first Broadway show. Mm -hmm. um, it you know, lasted for about a minute on Broadway, but it got me sort of in the club. Um, and then you know, made a progression being a choreographer and then a director choreographer. And I mean, directors come at it from all in. You know, they're actors, writers become directors. There are people who just decide they want to be a director right from the beginning. But I think every you know, director choreographer I know, whether it's me or my brother or Susan Stromer or Casey Nicola or Rob Ashford or Bob Fosse or Gower Champion or Tommy Toon, they all sort of did that same, they were all dancers who became assistants, who became choreographers, who became director choreographers. So that's sort of a, it's almost like an apprentice art in some yeah. ways, you know, I mean I assisted my brother, he assisted Graziella Danielle, Graziella Danielle assisted Bob Fosse, Bob Fosse was supervised on his first show by Jerome Robbins, I mean Rob Ashford assisted me, you know, so it's like there, there, there's a sort of lineage there that I think is kind of in a way natural and I think you know it, de it depends on the, the show but it's, it's I, th I think as a and also as a choreographer you get this wonderful opportunity because you get to see directors at work which you don't always get to see you know where you're directing a sort of a, a solitary profession in a lot of ways because there's only one of you in the room as opposed to the actors or the musicians or you know even the designers there's a team of designers and uh, so the wonderful thing is that I got to, to watch incredible directors work to kind of See, see what they did first. Did you also similar? Did you similarly assist? I did. I had. Uh, I assisted three very different and very dear to me directors out in San Diego. I assisted Anne Bogart, um, and uh, and I also in San Diego. I assisted Des Makinoff when he was at the La Jolla Playhouse, and um, and I assisted him then. Then a few times. Um, one of my hometowns is Toronto. After San Diego, I didn't feel like. I didn't feel ready to move to New York. It intimidated me. So I went to Toronto. And um, prior to leaving San Diego, I had a conversation with Des, uh, having assisted him at the Playhouse. And he said that Toronto was one of his hometowns. And he sort of took out a yellowing Rolodex. Because it had been a long time since he'd worked there. And he said, this person might still be alive. Give him a call. And he was back <laughs> And he, right at the tail end of this conversation, I was 24 years old, he said, in two years, if Tommy does well on Broadway, we'll likely have a sit-down production in Toronto. If you're still there, you should assist me on that. And my 24-year-old brain was like, I had a job in two years. This is fantastic. <laughs> and two years later, Des had forgotten about this, but I showed up at the auditions, and I weaseled my way in. And um, there was another assistant, uh, Lisa Portes, a friend, and I became the second assistant. And so that was great. And then um, Lisa and I then put up Tommy in Germany right mm -hmm. after Toronto. And then, my again, my 
I guess 26 year old brain at that point was like, well now I'm ready to move to New York and I will direct Broadway musicals. It is very, so, you know, I've yet to ever direct a musical. But, uh, but I, I landed in New York at age 27 and I assisted Des one more time. And then actually through the Lincoln's, Lincoln Center's director's lab, I met, through Anne Catania, met Dan Sullivan who needed uh, a pretty heavy hitter assistant um, for a, a, a Pete Gurney sort of staged reading, sort of a la love letters, chairs and music stands on off nights of, at, at the Mitzi. And, but he needed someone when he wasn't available to put in those Blythe Danners and Irene Worths and like really kind of fan, it was amazing. It was an amazing job that popped up like every six weeks. And it was like this cavalcade of like Nancy Marchand. It was this cavalcade of who's who's. And, uh, and then I assisted Dan a couple more times. So, so you know, Ann Bogart, Des McEnough, Dan Sullivan, um, it was fantastic because they're all so different and observing very different people. It's when I really clicked in both because I had been starting to direct more myself, but it really became clear to me that it's such a personal, verbal art form. You have to be true to yourself. You have to be comfortable in your own skin. And um, you do it different ways, depending on who you are. Who's, is there anybody whose style you think you're most similar to, or did you sort of create your own? I think I'm most, I mean, I think Dan and I are temperamentally the most similar. Um, it's sort of an easy, I can sort of, yeah, yeah, that would be the answer. I've always been curious, because I've never worked with Anne Bogart, but I've always been curious about her style and the viewpoints and all of that. Do you, it, it was amazing. I, I, I don't, I don't, but, uh, and, and this was really early on, she hadn't even really caught, like it was pre-City Company, <laughs> and she was just starting to codify the viewpoints. I think there were seven, I think there are now 11, um, so it was really early on. And, um, but, and, and what was so amazing was, it was Claire Booth Luce's The Women, and, um, so the, and it was a cast that was half equity, half non-equity, and she built a company. Like everyone came up using that, you know, sort of physical, sort of that outside-in viewpoints technique. It was, it was masterful. How about you, Kathleen? Who do you see, the same question that you just asked Pam, who do you see? Do you see any of those people in your work who you, who you assisted? I mean, I think certainly, you know, working with my brother, and and even though I never worked directly with Graziella Danielle, there were so many things he would say about Graziella that I think are, I think of a lot. You know, like one of the things I know Graziella said is that if you, if you're taking something away from somebody, take something away from somebody else. Don't make one person you know, the sort of change, change two things, you know, so that it's so that it's not all on one person. Just little things like that that I sort of know came from her through my brother to me, um, uh, and that kind of thing. I, I actually got, as a performer, I got my equity card working with Susan Schulman mm -hmm. um, at Pittsburgh City Light Opera, and then was lucky enough to choreograph for her uh, later on. We did uh, violin off Broadway, among other things, and so um, I. You know, I learned from her style. I saw she was the first one I sort of really kind of saw working with writers in a, in a sort of really you know way that I think still sort of influenced me. And um, uh, and it's interesting because as a choreographer, with you know directors on musicals are all different. Some directors on a musical, if there's music involved, it's the choreographer. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a 
transition or a ballad or a production number. And some, and some directors will stage things with music, but not necessarily things with rhythm. Um, they'll stage ballads and that kind of thing. And then there are some directors who will stage you know, rhythmic things. So it was interesting because working with different directors allowed me to sort of see, you know, see different styles. I remember one time doing um, uh, 1776 that Scott Ellis was directing. And 1776 has these long scenes. I think it has one of the longest scenes in a musical uh, between, uh, between songs. And I remember, and we had this sort of incredible cast, and I remember it was sort of, we'd done all this sort of, you know, table work and all that kind of stuff, and now we're sort of up on our feet, and I was kind of sitting next to him, and they, they sort of started, it was all just, you know, this, whatever, 20 guys on stage, and they're all kind of wandering around and saying things, and it's just a big mess. And, you know, I just keep looking over him, like, he's got stop this at some point, right? I mean, it's just like, you know, he's going to have to shape this at some point. It was really smart because he just let them go for a long time. He just let it go. And then we went, and he went back, and then he shaped it a little bit, and then he went back and shaped it a little bit. But me, sometimes as a choreographer, you're like up there ready to sort of shape, you know, and set. And, you know, or, and a lot of times it's, you're teaching something you've already sort of created. So, um, so it was a really interesting lesson for me to go, oh, okay, just let him go. Just let him go and see what happens. And then and then step back and edit or shape it. It's interesting because when we get, um, Kathleen takes a lot of observers on her projects, which is really generous. Um, and when we get final reports back, that's actually what's meant. That's actually always meant. Oh, really? I can't believe how much she lets people go. In the end, it turns out exactly as she as she planned. But, <laughs> no, but they can't. Everybody is shocked that you're not, you know, every minute up there adjusting. Well, I always feel like I don't have to do it eight times a week. You know, they have to do it eight times a week. And I sort of find that if it's not, if they don't have, you know, connection to what they're doing and, and ownership of what they're doing, it's, first of all, it's not going to make, it's not going to necessarily work. And it's certainly not going to make sense two months from now when they sit down and they do this and they go, I, it's two months into the run and I have no idea why I'm picking up the water at this point except for somebody told me to do it and I've been doing it for two months. And so, you know, you, it has to be connected to them, you know, because they're, and if it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't mean that, I mean, it's still, you still need to sort of shape in everything, but, but it has to come from them. And I find that shows maintain themselves best when the actors have kind of, you know, really had a, 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 a real connection to what they're doing. That's always <laughs> Um So if you were able, you know, when you, um, when you talk about our early careers, both of you, it sounds like it all happened so fast. I don't know if it felt fast <laughs> at the time. And also looking back on it, is there anything that you would change or anything that you can really kind of say, I actually did that really well in terms of career, in terms of not career moves, but... Well, I, you know, I sort of, I mean, because I, I was, you know, a, a dancer for a certain number of years, and I didn't, you know, then I became an assistant, and then I became a choreographer. And then the first time I actually directed and choreographed in, in New York, I'd done sort of some um, smaller things outside of the city. I was artistic director at Encores, mm -hmm. and we, were, we decided to do Babes in Arms. And um, I actually had sent the script to several directors um, thinking, you know, and it was a show that obviously needed to be sort of, you know, helped and reshaped in certain ways um, and there were several you know directors who I sent it to who said I don't I don't I can't I don't think I want to do this or I can't find my way into this or I don't th th think this could work and I was I like huh well I think it could work and then I remember going to Judith Dakin who was the executive director at uh, of City Center at the time and said I think I want to direct this one because the no there are you know several people who sort of said they don't think they had a way in and I said I think I have a way into this 
And she was great. She and, and Rob Fisher, who was the musical director at the time, said, okay, great, let's do it. And so that was the first... So I actually hired myself for my first <laughs> <laughs> I had a little interview with myself, and, um, <laughs> and I, I decided to hire myself. So, yeah, so, so, uh, it, was, so it was actually, you know, and, and it, because it was an institution that at that point I had been, you know, uh, the artistic director there for a couple of years, and I I'd choreographed several things for them. So I sort of, it was, it was this wonderful kind of, even though it was sort of terrifying and scary, it was also sort of safe because it, I knew the parameters there, and I and I and I had was surrounded by uh, an institution of people that already uh, I knew and I already trusted in, in terms of you know music staff and administrative staff and design team and all of that. So it was sort of it, that made it kind of uh, not easy, but at least comfortable to to try. Um, I feel you know at once. Once fortunate, but it was also, I guess, savvy on my part. Um, I never got into huge debt. Mm. I mean, and and that let me say yes to some things, even if there was a three hundred dollar fee, or a zero dollar fee, or cost me money to buy the tie line kind of experience. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, so that so that was really great early on. Um, I also found, I mean, just talking nuts and bolts, I found a really great money job, and I maintained that money job for ages. I tutored kids, and um, it, it, uh, it uh, you know, after a while, the hourly rate was pretty high. Um, also, it was light directing, very verbal, uh, so it, you know, I could fire through that. I didn't, you know, I, for, for a, a moment early on in New York, I worked, uh, as an assistant to an off-Broadway general manager. And uh, while it was great fun and I actually learned a lot, uh, uh, you know, I, I sort of realized, oh, I'm, I'm good at this, this could wind up, like people could wind mm -hmm. up circling me and saying, oh, she's good at that. And I didn't want to do that. So then I, I found tutoring. Um, and I, you know, I still, I've never officially quit my tutoring. Uh, because, because, because why time? Because why would I ever do that? You know, you never actually need to officially quit those things. Um, so, who knows? Uh, but you know, so that so that's strictly like like nuts and bolts kinds of stuff. And then you know, sort of, I, I mentioned earlier that you know, Des Makinoff forgot about hiring me to assist him on Tommy, and I did not. And then I show, I found out where the auditions were. I did, I did stuff like that. You know, again, it's like in retrospect, it's like what? But like with Anne Bogart, I found out where the auditions were, and you know, there's always someone manning the door because of people like me keeping people like me out, and, and she first turned me away, and because I'm so bloody cheap, I, I had paid for parking at Horton Plaza in San Diego, and I was like, I paid for parking, I have to go in and talk to her. So I figured out a way, and, and Anne Bogart is so nice, and, you know, and, and also I think really takes seriously, I mean she now teaches at Columbia, but really takes seriously that, you know, the, the mentor yes. relationship, and she invited me to sit next to her during her auditions, and she said, over the course of the afternoon, we'll grab, we'll, 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 we'll chat. And at the end of that, she said, look, they're not going to be able to pay you, but, you know, show up. Be my assistant. Um, so, like, things like that, where, you know, and even, like, like my relationship with Edward Albee, I, I, uh, I had a lot, my, my agent, um, uh, Mark Subius, suggested that we have lunch. I... 
uh, Philadelphia Theater Company got the first regional rights to do a play about the baby. So for Edward, a very recent play of his. This was in like 2000. And um, my agent called Edward and said, I have a young client directing play about the baby. Would you have lunch with her? And he said yes, and then I had to do it. And... play to talk about like it was a normal like it wasn't like go have coffee with a legendary person it was talk about this play um so you go and you talk about the play i don't think i ate anything but i talked about the play and again like in retrospect that was probably an audition i probably didn't have the job but i went in you know ready and director writer and you know away away you go so there's so there is that like it's both a bold switch it's a naive switch um, but it served me well. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of fearless. Yeah. It, it, it's funny, you talk about that, that it was an audition, but you didn't realize it. it. And that I sort of realized at a certain point, I kind of, my sort of mantra to myself sometimes is that it's always for credit. You know, that there isn't such a thing as a sort of casual go in. Absolutely. And just, you know, especially mm-hmm. as a director and choreographer, you're, you're always sort of, because basically you're, you're trying, people are deciding whether to entrust you with their play, their musical, their project. And you have to be, the one who says, okay, everybody follow me. Here's how we're going to do this. And so they're trying to judge if you're the person to do that or not. And I remember Jeffrey Richards, who we both know very well, um, was uh, looking, had the rights to do Pajama Game. And he was interviewing directors. And I went in for a meeting with him. And it was all very sort of pleasant. I hadn't directed uh, on, I directed some things at Encores at that point, but I hadn't directed on Broadway. And... Um, and had choreographed on Broadway, not directed. And it was a very sort of pleasant and nice sort of, you know, lunch and whatever. And then we, you know, we left. And I realized, I, I didn't, I realized that I hadn't really nailed it, that I sort of hadn't made the impression that I wanted to make. And so I went back and I wrote um, an email to him just saying, thanks. And by the way, here's uh, some casting ideas. And I, like, for like the, the top four or five parts, I just wrote a bunch of casting ideas and da da da, and a couple of other things and sort of sent it off to him. And then he asked me to meet with him again, mm-hmm. you know, because I sort of was, and then I, and then for the second meeting, I sort of really did my homework, and I went in and I described to him what ended up being the opening five minutes of the show, mm-hmm. where we kind of, uh, if, if anybody knows, the original pajama game started with Heinze as this narrator and singing the title song, and then the curtain goes up, and then there's a scene, and then there's a song, then they, then they actually sing, you know, and, and I actually reconceive this thing and I described it to him that no the, the, the curtain's going to go up on the factory in full motion and we're going to go right into the song and all these scenes are going to be incorporated into the opening number and by the end of the opening number you've met all the characters except for Babe and so he was like okay <laughs> and then that ended up being what it was you know because that sense of that it's always for credit you know and it happened to my brother when he did this little sidetrack but when he um after he directed the uh, Annie TV movie, he had a uh, meeting at um, what well, was Miramax then um, about they wanted they were looking the I think they had the rights to Rent and they were looking to do a movie of Rent and he went in to talk to them about Rent and he wasn't really very interested in directing Rent but he also knew they had the rights to Chicago and that had been sitting there and had sort of you know gone through several almost stages that didn't happen. And he said, yeah, Rent, but can I talk to you about Chicago? <laughs> and, and he, again, described what ended up being the opening, whole opening section of the movie Chicago. And it was one of those, like, you know, he, I don't know who he's talking to. He was like, can we get Harvey Weinstein? <laughs> <laughs> and it was, so it was 
was like, and then he did, and he described the first five minutes of the movie Chicago. And so it's that sense that you, you have to, you know, you, you have to sort of be ready to say, this is how I think it should be done. Yeah. And that opening number is the Marshall M.O. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's what George Abbott said. George Abbott said you've got seven minutes to basically tell the audience what your show is about and the style of it. And, it, and you, can, you can then, if you want to pull the rug out from them underneath, you know, from underneath them later on, you can, but you're, you're basically, that's your sort of contract with the audience is the first seven minutes is that here's, here's what it's going to be. Here's the style of it. How is that different in a play? I know, and this is not a play. I realize you're yeah. way off script right now. That's what you get. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've, I, 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 I know that there have been meetings where where I feel the artistic director wanting me to pitch them, you know, and really get specific and talk physically, and I, you know, I, I, I. I Either the plays that I'm drawn to or my own wiring doesn't do that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, eh. You know, I mean, you know, I mean it's, 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 uh, it, it is different. It is different. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so we wind up talking, you know, even if it's a brand new play, talking more about, you know, sort of, uh, uh, Themes and different threads, and you know, sort of like like the killer beat that maybe still has to get you know sort of worked backwards in it as a, a play. You know, maybe you know we're talking sort of you know how to push this play. Um, you know, obviously in that case, there's likely a playwright sitting to my left. Um, you know, so so it's it's a, it's a partner in crime. So it's you know it, it's a it's a uh, you know sort of every constellation of people is a little different, and that's I think why. We probably all keep on coming back to it. Like there is sort of, it's not, there isn't, like no one has. Like oh, this is the mo. This is how I do yeah. it. It's yeah. you know, it's it is it is sort of loose. But it but but you know, and, but I, I I I'm I'm recalling some you know some some meetings where I know the artistic director wanted me to describe the set, and I just you know I could describe it in in sort of thematic story ways, but I just I wasn't either willing or capable to to do what I know would have unlocked it for him or her, usually him. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's true, because I sort of feel like you don't really know what it is. I, I think of it as like a spiral. You, you sort of, you know, you're on the outside, and you know, you know you like this play, you like these characters, you like this world, but you know, you sort of you go around and around, and then you have a first meeting with the, you know, you start your casting, you start working with your designers, you start, and it starts sort of forming, and, yeah. and you, but you have to sort of keep going around and around and around and around until you get to that center, and you can't, there's no shortcut. You can't, because you can't know what the end result's going to be. You have to sort of do all those, well, what ifs, and, mm -hmm. and I find auditions fascinating because I sort of find that it illuminates a lot for me in terms of what you think, you know, it becomes very clear what you kind of, what it, you think it should be and what it shouldn't be, you know, and uh, and even plays that you know that you're cast going in, it's still kind of fun to hold auditions, whether it's even for the ensemble and the understudies or whatever, because it you, you when you hear it out loud, you go, oh, oh, I it just sort of illuminates so much. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and those early design meetings are also just so amazing. You know, and I like like with Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, in a crazy way. I wound up dramaturgically leaning a lot 
on my sound designer. Now, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf has a doorbell, uh, one, you know, uh, Beethoven's seventh cue, one sort of loose jazz cue, and then like a crash box backstage. That's the sound. But, but Rob, you know, was just someone who was, well, his wife was Amy Morton, so he was invested in this, but, but, you know, but, but also just a big brain of a designer. And so, you know, like, like the, the, the meeting would nominally be about what should the doorbell sound like, but very rapidly it turns into, well, what is a marriage? You know, so those are great early, early conversations. You have a few of those conversations, you reread the play, and you're, you're reading it differently. It's great. Collaborators are great. And you don't ever, I find, know necessarily, because, because we're people, uh, like sort of what, what, what a scheduled conversation is going to result in. Yeah. Do you stick with the same collaborative team most of the time? No, I mean, I have some favorites. I have some go-tos. Um, I, I sort of like, you know, in, in the world of sets, lights, costumes, sound, of, you know, having uh, one, one person, at least one person, be new. So, mm -hmm. like, two or three that are like, yeah, we're in it. And then one or two that are like, I've always wanted to work with that person, you know, based on work or based on getting to know, you know, a person a little bit socially. There so was like a piece in the New Yorker. Sorry, but I'll, I just want to interject one thing. There was a piece in the New Yorker last year. The New Yorker is my Bible. And they talked about there has been a study on what makes shows successful. And that's actually the only thing that they could come up with that mm. correlates to success is having a, most of a team who works together plus a new mm. person interjecting. So you figured that out on your own, but they've actually found that out scientifically. Uh, so good. Anyway, <laughs> look it up in the New Yorker. It's a really fascinating article. Um, and how about you? Do you keep, you really? I, do. I, I have worked with a lot of. Uh, I've worked with you know Derek McLean, a lot of success set designer, and my beloved Marty Pakladinas, who we just lost um, uh, last year. Uh, I've worked with a lot of the costume designers. So in a way, it's kind of forcing me on my next few projects. I'm actually going to work with two or three different costume designers to sort of you know uh, yeah. to sort of uh, have these sort of new relationships. And for me, I, I also it's it's that. Um, that familiarity means that we, we go into it, you know, 20% ahead or whatever because we already know how we like to work and we can kind of just plunge right into the, the nitty-gritty or the what-ifs or the, the, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and especially for, for, for dance, finding, you know, somebody who, who uh, knows how to, you know, create clothes that can really sort of move in the right way and, uh, and you know, can feel like real clothes when you want them to, can feel heightened when you want them to and can move the way you need them to, you know, so that's, yeah, that's always a, you know, an, a, a balance, but it's going to be a new adventure for me now with, uh, with working with new designers. Yeah. Yeah. And when do you get them involved generally in a, in a perfect world? Well, usually, you know, I mean, with the development of musicals now, it's where all those readings and workshops <laughs> on and on. So, um, you know, a lot of times I, I sort of ask people to, to come to a reading or to, you know, to see if, it, if, it, if they want to do it, you know, if they like it. Um, but the thing is, it's such a uh, roulette wheel because you have no idea when these things are actually going to happen and hoping yeah. that people are available. You know, so, I mean, there's a, there's a workshop that we just did um, and... Uh, of a musical of Ever After that went really well. We'd love to go next spring, but we don't know if we're going to have a home, and we don't know when we're going to have a home. So we can't. You can't necessarily. You know, you don't want people to 
turn down work for this maybe. So you have to sort of just kind of, everybody just has to kind of go forward and think, well, if it comes together, it comes together. And if we can, if we can get that team and do their, you know, work their schedules, we will, but we may have to adjust. You know, it's, uh, um, I mean, it's, it's why, you know, institutional theaters and not-for-profits and regionals are like, that's, you know, because you can write that in ink in your, in your calendar, you know, yeah. if you've decided to do something, you know, Steppenwolf calls and says, please come do this right. next spring, you know it's going to happen. Right. You know they have a theater, you know they have the, the resources to do it, and right. you can... Yeah, I'm stepping into, this is sort of the first season, where I'm stepping into the, the commercial... Right. I'm shrugging my shoulders for those listening at home. <laughs> uh, you know, the, 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 you know, and it, and it is it's it, it, it's a very different it's a very different thing. Yeah, the commercial maybe. Yeah, yeah. I remember when we were doing a, um, I was choreographing Little Shop of Horrors, and we had been trying to get Wonderful Town. We had done it at Encores, and we were trying to get it to Broadway, and Donna Murphy wasn't available, and we didn't know. And then we. Uh, there was a possible, she, then she basically had called us back up and said she was available to do it in this next chunk, but we didn't have a theater. And there was, the Hirschfeld Theater was coming available, and we didn't know, because there was a possibility, there were a couple of shows vying for it. And I remember we were doing a, um, a run-through of Little Shop of Horrors, and uh, which is, we were going to be at the, uh, at the Virginia at the time it was the Virginia, I guess, and I say August Wilson, was um, uh, a Jude Jamson Theater, and Hirschfeld was also a Jude Jamson Theater. And Jack Fertel came in to sit and watch the run-through, and he looked at me across the room, and he did this. And I was like, ah, okay. Um, because we literally went into rehearsal about six weeks later. And we had nothing. We had Donna Murphy. That's all we had. We had nobody else in the cast. We had no set design. We had, I mean, we had, we had our sort of, you know, ideas from encores, yeah. but we didn't know how we were going to expand them. So it was like, it was like tick, 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 roller coaster. I mean, it was just, and off we went. But it was, so it was exciting and terrifying, but it was, you know, we all just had to kind of group together and go. Yeah. And actually, it's one of the first times I worked with Marty because William Ivy Long had done the costumes for us at Encores and wasn't available because it was starting, you know, next right. week. Right. And he was doing, of course, William Ivy doing 15 musicals mm -hmm. at once. So um, so he wasn't able to do it, and that's when and Marty came on board. Wow. Yeah. Um, speaking of casting, you're both very strong on, not that we were really speaking of casting, but um, you're both considered really strong on casting. Um, do you ever cast anybody from an open call? And uh, is casting different in a revival and a new work for you? Do you approach it any differently? Um, well, the first question, I've certainly cast dancers from open calls um, and, uh, and ensemble folks. I don't know if I've ever cast principal from an open call. Um, but it's uh, it, but it is great when you sort of discover people. I know we were we were casting anything goes. We knew we had Sutton Foster on board. We knew we had Joel Gray. We were sort of starting to look for our Billy Crocker, and we had a first set of auditions that we saw maybe like I don't know, you know, eight or ten guys. We were sort of just kind of starting the process, and that's when Colin Donald came in, and and afterwards I thought he's really kind of. He's really kind of special. I think he's kind of good. He's really good, isn't he? You sort of look around the table like, am I just crazy or he's really good? And then we were doing a call, we were doing another set of auditions. We said, well, let's bring Colin back. And we brought in another sort of half dozen guys or so. And that time, uh, and, and at that point, um, uh, Todd Hames was there too, the artist director of Roundabout. So John Weidman was there and Tim Krause and me and Rob Fisher and, and, 
and we saw these other sort of half dozen guys and, and Colin came in and he was sort of pretty great and I said Colin can you, you know wait out in the hall a little bit and, and he did and we like saw another couple of guys and um, and I said to, I just looked around the table and I said am I crazy but Colin's it right he, he's our guy right isn't he fantastic we've sort of seen these other guys and I think he's the guy and they everybody was like yeah 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 and he's the guy and I looked at Todd Hames and I said can we tell him because you know you never get get that moment. It's always, you know, a pre- an agent to a casting director, da, 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 da. And Todd said, yes. And I said, okay, oh. great. So I, he came back in. You know, <laughs> that, that, that audition thing, he kind of like his book under his arm, his suit on. And I, he, I was like, he came over to the piano. I was standing on the piano and I said, um, and he, he, he had that like eager, like, what do you need? What do you need? What do you want me to do? <laughs> and I said, Colin, I said, um, we'd like you to play Billy Crocker and Anything Goes. And he literally, like, stepped back. Like, this, like, this, you know, because that, that uh, you know, over-eager, like, anxious thing. And he just, I, I thought he was going to, like, you know, fall on the floor. But it was great, because you never yeah. get that moment. As, you, you know, you rarely get that moment as a director yeah. to get to tell somebody face-to-face. Yeah. So. But, yeah. so good. How about you with... with yeah, I mean, I you know, like, I mean, I can talk about Virginia Woolf. Um, I mean, Chicago is such a great theater scene, but for uh, for Nick and Honey, it's it's uh, it's an interesting theater scene because unlike New York and unlike LA, there is no showcase code in the union. Oh. So um, so there are there's a big non-union pool. And then there aren't actually that many equity. I mean, there aren't that many union houses. So there. So so uh, because you know, I, I needed uh, you know people who have you know stage age, mid late twenties. Um, I saw a number of people that had you know that were known in the storefront non ex scene, but had yet to you know. And then the problem with Chicago is because there's so few union theaters that a lot of younger actors who finally get into equity have to leave because right. they just, you know, they, and, and, and the storefront scene, and, the, and that's where, I mean, Steppenwolf was a storefront theater, you know, so a lot of these storefront theaters grow and grow and grow, and then they tip into being union, and so some of those storefront actors are amazing, and also those storefront theaters actually pay them. Um, but so Madison Dirks, who played Nick, was non-equity before he got really? the gig. Um, and he walked walked in, and you know I, I didn't know him, and and my uh, and actually Amy and Tracy were my readers for my auditions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not intimidating. Yeah, exactly. And, and and Madison could hold his own with Tracy Letts, and called him back. He could still hold his own with Tracy Letts, and you know, and both Amy and I were sort of like, and he's kind of cute. <laughs> so. I mean, so that's Nick. And then I got on the phone with Edward, you know, and Edward's big thing, obviously, and his trepidation about Steppenwolf. And he actually had never let Steppenwolf do any of his plays before that, and it wasn't for want of asking, um, was because they are uh, very traditionally uh, an acting, an actor's company, and his thing is there will be no casting compromises, no casting compromises. So I got on the phone with Edward that evening, and, and he asked again, will there be casting compromises? And he's already starting to get angry, and I said, no, there are no casting compromises. Found, you know, a great young actor uh, to play Nick, and I said, the one problem is he's not blonde. And Edward said, ah, that's no problem. Whenever, I don't know why Edward just became a 1940s, like, <laughs> 
said, he said that happens all the time, and whenever they refer to him as Blondie, we'll just call him Cutie. And so, that's great. Um, and then Carrie Coon, similarly, she was equity. She was two years out of a grad, a grad program. She had done one show at the Goodman, I think, the season before, a very supporting role. Um, and she walked in, and you know, and that role is so hard to even find audition sides for. She's a witness, as opposed to a like an, an instigator. Um, and so she did like these tiny little scenes, but it was just so clear. I mean, she just sort of the temperature changed in the room. Um, uh, you know, so and and my uh, Erica Daniels, the casting director of Steppenwolf. I mean, showed me you know, a lot of people, but it's actually a small theater town. Mm -hmm. So, you know, by a lot, it's not so much a lot, but two people really came to the fore. Um, and we were very happy. You know, and the fact that Amy and Tracy were married leaders just also, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. How did that initiate with Amy? I mean, because obviously through August of Sage County and, and they, did they, did they just decide they want to do this, or did you bring it to them, or how did that? Uh, uh, well, Virginia Woolf, I got a call from Molly Smith at Arena Stage, and I had done a delicate balance there uh, a couple years prior to that phone call. And um, Arena Stage wanted to open their new facilities with an Albee festival, and they wanted to do Virginia Woolf, and I guess it's now called At Home at the Zoo. It was mm -hmm. called Peter and Jerry when I did it. So this. Zoo Story is the second act of a two-act play. And then they wanted to do readings galore. And she said, would you direct Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And I said, yes. And she asked me, you know, again, this is sort of like thinking out loud, who could you imagine being your Martha? Because that's where you usually start with Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Um, and I said, wouldn't it be great if we could convince Amy Morton to spend a bit of time in DC? And word got back to artistic director Martha Levy. And she is a Chicago gangster. And, and, she, and, she said, and she said, Pam, the only way you're going to get Amy Morton to play Martha is if it starts at Steppenwolf. And what do you think of this? Tracy Letts is George. Fantastic. And she said, okay, here's the problem. We don't do Cobras anymore. And Edward Albee has never let us do one of his plays. Okay, see what you can do. And so I spoke to, um, I spoke to Molly at Arena Stage. And she said, that's fine. We will host. We oh, don't need a Copro. Nice. That's fine. That's, that's actually part of their mission now that they have this amazing facility of like hosting national, especially American American, Steppenwolf is that, uh, you know, companies. So that was great for her. And then Edward, it took three phone calls. And by the third phone call, I changed my tactic. I no longer pitched it as a question. I was like, on the phone, I could remember thinking, my eyebrows are oddly up. And I kept on saying, okay. I have some really exciting news. <laughs> Steppenwolf Theater wants to do Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and the calendar works out so that we can start it there and then bring it to Arena Stage and get a load of this. It's Amy Morton and Tracy Letts. And I was just like, fire, fire, And Edward said, well, if you think, if you think there will be no casting compromises, if you think this is a good idea, then let's pursue it. <laughs> and what did he say on Sunday night? <laughs> he was very happy. He was happy. Yeah, really. That's great. He asked me in a voice note to marry him. <laughs> in, great, in great Albie fashion, it was, it, was, it was, will you marry me? Please say no. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> So is your, is your, I just want to ask one more time, is your casting different, is your approach different to the revival or a new work? 
And do you worry about precedent in a new work at all? Like about setting precedent for, for the role? Well, it's interesting, your revival, I mean, everybody, you know, thought that Sutton Foster, so many people thought that she was sort of miscast in the role. And my favorite was people said, well, she's too young. And I said, you know, um, Ethel Merman was 25 when she originated the role of Reno Sweeney, so how could she possibly be too young? And, um, you know, and just, and that, that, you know, Reno Sweeney, everybody thinks they sort of know who that character is, and, but you actually have to sort of create it because there's nothing, all we know about Reno Sweeney is that she's an evangelist turned nightclub singer. And we know she's friends with Billy Crocker, and we know she's moving. There's not anything in the description anywhere that says her age, what she looks like, attitude, background, history. Not, none, of that, none of that is there, unlike other characters who we actually hear a little bit more about. So, um, you know, so it's something that we can actually create who she is. And, and for Sutton, who, you know, is sort of such a sort of um, humble and unassuming person in real life, for her to sort of create this character. And I said, well, to me, Reno Sweeney created herself, like Lady Gaga created herself. She created herself. She made herself into this kind of wonderful, you know, smart-ass, fast-talking, hip, sexy nightclub owner, you know. And so so that was a way in for us to sort of find some, a, a personality that she could create. But, you know, but that was, that was um, you know, that, that was... You know, you still have the sort of shadow of Ethel Merman and Patti Lapone sort of hanging over, but um, but thinking, okay, this is a way for us to kind of make it our own in some ways. You know. mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, and I guess I mean I you know I've mainly directed actually new plays, yeah. um, so you know I think my my approach to like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, directed one Shakespeare, directed Othello, is is similar to directing a new play and. Um, I mean, some of it is still, you know, a little bit, without being too self-deprecating, but a little bit like the naive 24-year-old who says, God damn it, I'm going to go in and talk to Ann Bogart, whoever she is, because I paid for parking. I mean, it's a little bit, it's a little bit like, yes, of course I know, especially Albie, I know the canon, but I'm reading this play and I'm responding, I'm, I'm responding to it as myself, and I'm responding to it you know, in, in a very personal way, um, and uh, and I think that's how I, I like to go through a rehearsal process and with my actors, and uh, and and with those big plays. I mean, it is a little intimidating, and there is you know there there is audience expectation and even personal expectation, and you know, with Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, you have these iconic Marthas, and they start with Liz Taylor, and you know, and of course, if you're older than I, they start with Uta Hagen. And, you know, and, and, and that, is, that is intimidating, but uh, as, as the, the hours, you know, as, as you go through the hours of your first day and all of a sudden you're into your second day and your third day, fourth day, you start to really own it, I find. And you start to really sort of, it's, it's, it's inherently frustrating because these are really hard things to bring to life. And what sort of were the expectations before have been eclipsed by how hard the work is day to day, moment to moment, mm-hmm. and 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 you get to really quickly know the people that you're working with, and hopefully you trust them, and you you go from there. It becomes deeply personal and very in front, very present tense, as opposed to like, oh, right, I can I can hear Elizabeth Taylor braying. It's, it's right. not going to be that. It's not going to be that. You know, I, I mean, I mean, Amy Morton did have to bray. 
But it was, you know, and I sort of at one point got done on bended knee and said, you have to bray. And she was like, I am braying. You have to bray more. Because, you know, there are some things that have to hit, but it was definitely Amy Morton braying right. and not some musical echo of something. So what is that first day of rehearsal like? I don't like it. Because it's, <laughs> I, don't know, I, I find it's like the, like the, like the social... Um, you know, and, and, and definitely sort of some degree of like, there are a lot of strangers, and so I get nervous. The and meet I, and greet. The, it's the meet right? and greet, and even, you know, and I, and I know that actors feel pressure around the table, we're going to do a table read, and more and more, there are producers who attend that, and it, it is a little dog and pony, as opposed to like, you know, shut the door and we actually get to do some work. So it, it you know, it, it, it does feel a little bit like, oh my god, let's just check it off the list, and then we can update two. Um, but having said that, because there is adrenaline, uh, because it, it is sort of, uh, you know, sort of knee-jerk response, sometimes there's some amazing stuff that happens that, you know, in those table reads, you know, and it, it's tantamount to doing like a, you know, uh, you know we've all done, done readings of, of plays where you have four hours to rehearse and then you, you do it, that, you know, sometimes those are amazing. And actually, if, if you have a reading... Um, and you have three days of rehearsal, it's not as good as if you only had three hours. Because it's instinct, instinct, instinct. And you, know, and, and you turn off your self-censoring brain. Um, but, but I do find like there is some social anxiety the, that first day. It's terrifying. Although the, the fun part for me on those first days is also the design presentation. Absolutely. Because you know, when you're showing the, your cast the set for the first time and their costumes for the first time and you can just see their eyes you know, yeah. getting bigger and getting excited about it. And, but you're right, the, the, the pressure of that. I, what I usually do is on a first day of a musical is we read through the script but just skip the songs. You know? Or if it's a new musical, maybe, uh, or a, song, a, place where the, a show where the songs are not familiar, we might have the you know um, musical director sort of play through them or the composer sing through them, you know. Um, but then what, what I do at the end of the week is we spend the rest of the week learning music and doing table work with the scenes. And by the end of the first week of rehearsal, we do a read sing through, and that's really fun because usually they don't all show up, you know, for that. <laughs> and that's when we when everybody gets to sort of they've now gotten to sort of absorb these characters a little bit and they get to sort of sing for each other and and maybe we even play through some of the dance music or you know that kind of stuff and it gets them excited about love it about then by week two we're kind of ready to get on our feet and, and start staging so that's fun um and throughout the whole rehearsal process what are kind of your strengths or what are your most valuable tools that you have in your toolboxes um no i mean i think you know, I think so, I think the, the most valuable tools are everybody in the room. You know, I mean, just making sure, you know from everybody from the, the having the sort of designers' input and as you as you work through and having their their eyes and the, the cast, the way they sort of respond to each other and um, and you know and 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 assistance, you know, great assistance because I always feel like, especially as a director choreographer, you sort of feel like. You hope you're kind of leading everybody in the right direction, and you, and you hope if you're not that somebody will perform an intervention. <laughs> you know, that, that somebody will go. <laughs> no, you know, I don't, that's not a good idea. And so I think you know the, the the best part is when you kind of look around the room and say, "What if we do this?" And you kind of get that mm. the nodding going on of like, "Yeah, okay, why don't we try that?" So I sort of feel like that's the best part is the sort of 
synergy. I actually, it, it's, it's hard because with the musicals you have to do a certain amount of prep, but certainly with choreography you have to do a certain amount of prep. But I always get so inspired when I start staging that if I could, if I could <laughs> make my own schedule, I would rehearse for two days, prep for a day, rehearse for two days, prep for a day, because I sort of feel like instead of having to prep all the numbers before we even start rehearsal, because I get so inspired by yeah. them, I'd rather sort of get on our feet with one number and then say, oh, okay, great, now I can go away and create the next number, as opposed to having them kind of, you know, all in the pipeline ready to go, you know. Roundabout should let you do that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? Oh, sure. We'll give the actions every third day off. What do we get? It would be interesting yeah. you know, yeah. to see what happens. Um, and how much does your vision change from first rehearsal to first preview? That's a good question. That's a good question. I mean, I, you know, sort of piggybacking on what you just said, I mean, I, you know, I, I, think, I think I do go into rehearsal certainly with some big picture ideas, you know, conversations with designers, obviously, probably the, you know, the set has long been in the shop. It's like stuff yeah, yeah. is in motion. Um, but um, I do think that I, uh, and I really try to show up to rehearsal very awake and very, you know, sort of the the best idea in the room will win. And, 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 and I'm, if, it does not need to be mine at all. Um, and you know, hopefully, creating a room where that that can happen. Mm -hmm. um, and and also, um, I work. Um, I'm told that I'm very patient. In my mind, I translate into I'm slow. I mean, I you know, I, I, like, I mean, I you know, I, I don't you know, you know, something has to happen at every single moment. But I don't necessarily know what the right thing is until I see it. I'm a, I'm a responder. Mm -hmm. Certainly, there are moments where if something isn't happening, I will throw something in. You know, as a placeholder, it may be the right thing. But as you said earlier, if the actor doesn't seize it, own it, make it his or her own, it's not going to stick. And so slowly, 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 it's sort of like, you know, making making a really, you know, making a, a, a track on an album, you sort of lay in, you know, lay in the rhythm section, lay in the horns, and every day you sort of, I mean, I, I read some interview that Tracy Lev said, and he said, ah, she never, I don't, yeah, we, no, we didn't get staged. No, no. <laughs> at, a point, at a certain point in rehearsal, this yellow pad of paper came out, and she never put it down. I mean, you know, so like gradually, the physical shape—they own it uh, in a storytelling way. Like it, you know, we we did the show in Chicago. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Chicago, D.C. took almost two years off, and then went into rehearsal again, and then came into New York, and it was in early previews in New York where, so all, so all four characters are on stage, Honey has just stood up from the sofa, this is in the, their first scene, um, stood up from the sofa and she says she needs to powder her nose and George makes the wise crack of she's, she needs the euphemism. And, <laughs> and, um, and she used to in Chicago and DC, we, we couldn't get the laugh because she was taking it to Nick. She was facing this way, and so euphemism didn't get set mm -hmm. up. And in New York, I realized, oh, if she turns out and takes it to George, then euphemism is set up somehow. You know, so and it's it's stuff like that that I'm sure, you know, 
a director I really respect. I'm sure Jerry Zaks would know that day one, but I don't know that stuff. And we're still telling the story fine without the laugh, but I wanted the laugh. So I, you know, I'm patient and slow. <laughs> but what's also fascinating to me about, I mean, you know, because musicals, or uh, most musicals, are sort of compartmentalized. You know, there's scene, song, scene, song, scene, song, and there's, you know, whatever, eight, ten scenes in the first act and seven, eight scenes in the second act. So, so rehearsing them, breaking them down, is actually sort of pretty clear. You know, it's like, well, we'll rehearse this scene, and it leads to this song, and then, you know, and we'll come back to it, but that's a first pass at it. Okay, now let's move on to this scene. And to sort of do, especially a play like Virginia Woolf, where it takes place most of it in real time, mm -hmm. in big, long arcs. And I sort of, like, you know, I, I, I sort of can't imagine going into rehearsal and saying, well, let's take it from, you know, in the middle of, you know, when you're rehearsing a sort of, you know, huge, endless arc like that. How do you plunge in or do you have to go back to the beginning each time? I mean, you, because it's, it's, and finding your way in, I mean, it, you know, and, and for, for me it's sort of much... Yeah more clearly defined, you know, we'll, st we'll start with this scene with these two people and then we'll go on to the scene that has these six, other six people in it and then we'll come back to that scene. And, and you, you know, probably and have to be more concerned about transitions. I yeah. Mean, musicals are about transitions. Yeah, we have to sort of figure out how we're getting from here to there. And I mean, most, most musicals, uh, it actually works best when a scene ends with a song. Um, it's always best that that finishes the scene because then the... Uh, the applause of that song propels you into the transition and, and propels you into the next, um, you know, or if it's a scene, if it has a really good sort of blackout punchline at the end that you can, you know, is going to get a reaction that propels you into the transition. But so, you know, so in a way you're, you're, you know, you're building to that moment. Mm -hmm. And if you know how the song's going to end and you, and you certainly may have an arrangement of knowing how the song's going to end, if, you, if even if you don't know physically yet how it's going to end, um, that you, you know, you know, there's going to be this kind of natural progression, and, and finding the, the the rhythms that you did in Virginia Woolf with those kind of long arcs of that. I mean, and, and that was. I mean, I saw it. I saw it on a matinee, and it was just like I was just so wiped out by the end of it. And all I could think is, oh my god, those actors have to do it again tonight, because I was wiped out. I was wiped out watching them, and um, you know, emotionally drained, and um, and you know, the process of creating the building blocks that allow them to get there and allow them to get there on a Wednesday matinee that I saw, you know, is astonishing to me. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was very sad when it closed, but I was also relieved for my actors that they didn't have to do it. Yeah. Like, that's just a fact. Like, I, you know, um, I mean, Amy, Amy and Tracy in particular, I mean, they, they ate a lot of protein and they took a lot of naps. Yeah. <laughs> and did the show. Yeah. yeah. No, they have to you'd be like a, a really you know, cloistered life. Yeah. I, mean, the, I mean, the way a, you know, a, a, a leading actor, leading actress, you know, does a musical. It's like, you know, vocal yeah. rest, yeah. a lot of protein, yeah. you know, and then a, And of course, the people who have the biggest burden on stage at night have the biggest burden off stage because they're all asked to be doing interviews Absolutely. and phone interviews and talking, which of course is the worst, yeah. and, you know, and performances or whatever and events and luncheons and this and that. And so it's, it's you know, it's really amazing. Yeah. You know, seven, really seven days a week. I mean, six days a week, but there's always something on the Monday. There's always events. And, and for a three-act, you know, three-hour play, it's pretty remarkable. Um, how much can, what do you use the, the preview process for, and how much can you actually accomplish in previews? And I know you've done a lot of work regionally, Pam, where the preview process is typically much shorter than in New York. Mm -hmm. um, so what can you actually, what do you set out knowing that you can accomplish in that time? I mean, every every show is different, but a lot. 
I mean, the audience informs a lot. And on a new play, um, quite often there is one scene that already in rehearsal feels sort of like, ah, that's the scene that doesn't, mm -hmm. we don't quite know what it is. Uh, and in, in previews, sometimes the audience says, oh, we know what it is, and it doesn't become the problem scene. And other times it's like, oh, yeah, they don't know what it is either. Um, and, and, you, and, you, and you rewrite, you rewrite, and you retech, and you restage, and you, I mean, it can be very uh, exhausting and very exciting. And sometimes, I mean, you, you know, it, it's that thing of, I, I don't know, the, a metaphor I use is like a goldfish, you know, will grow to the size of its tank. So if it's a one-day reading, you know, I, I focus on a few things and I try to hit some highs and lows and, and then they do it. Um, and if it's a three week in the rehearsal hall, you know, I'm thinking of like an off-Broadway thing, three week in a rehearsal hall, four or five days of tech, and then three weeks of previews, you get to a certain place. In the regional theater, it's sometimes three and a half weeks in the rehearsal hall, half a week of tech, one week of previews. It's a certain, you know, and sort of you, you that goldfish can be in a koi pond. <laughs> um, you know, maybe a koi pond is Broadway, uh, you know, or it can be, you know, a little, you know, it can be a, a healthy, you know, put put a new play out into the world at South Coast Rep. Um, so, you know, I, and also as a director, and I'm learning this, I don't know, quite recently, is that there are also some things that you have to let go. Like you also have to know that if your preview process is, you know, five performances, or even as a month, a, a month, like that, that, even that thing that so annoys you or you realize, oh, it should be better, but if you don't know what it is, actually it doesn't really, it's not really gonna affect anything. Like it, you know, it, like, like it's like, like that's not going to be the thing that will get you the review or not. Like it just, it's just not. Um, you know, so you have to be able to say, we're opening tonight and it's kind of <laughs> fantastic. This is where we got. Um, but I, but I, I use them a lot. I mean, it's, Restaging and uh, rewrites galore. Um, I, you know, I, I, I so appreciate, and this is getting harder and harder, and it's economics um, uh, to have uh, designers, you know, be able to stay, you know, for like like the like the the duration of, of previews. Um, quite often, they you know they overlap gigs in order to just right, yeah. raise children and pay their rent. Right. Um, so you know, at a certain point, sometimes you do have to set it. Uh, sometimes even just based on that. And during that process, how do you give notes and how do you like to receive notes? And how do you filter them? Because you're getting notes from everyone, I would imagine. I mean, I mean, not in the ideal world, but... My feeling is that, you know, when you get, you know, notes from producers and things like that, is that what you mean with it? Yeah. My feeling is that you need to pay attention, you need to let everybody be heard, and you need to pay attention to what people think needs attention. I find that their solutions are often <laughs> quite not necessarily helpful. But I sort of feel like if the if the I, if several people are saying to you this needs attention, then you, you have to sort of step back and say okay, and then it's it has to come from you or from the writers or a combination thereof or the actors or whoever, the designers to so figure out what that solution is going to be. But I think you do need to pay attention to what you know if if there's something sort of you know consistent that that needs attention. Um, I mean, somebody once said it's true that you know musicals aren't ever really fit, you know, done. They're, they you just run out of time, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> and, um, 
And I remember Hal Prince. We were when I was assisting my brother because the Spider Woman, and there was something, and he, he, you know, wasn't he knew it wasn't quite right, but he said it's okay. It's not going to same kind of thing. It's yeah. like shows either sort of they either you know catch you up in their you know their wave and sweep you along, or they don't. And that one little thing may isn't necessarily going to make or break. And he said, oh, there's a manager scene in Phantom that still sends me out into the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> to hurt us so you know so, you know, it, it show me there's sort of you know it, it sort of either that motor kind of catches you up or it doesn't in some ways yeah. and I and you know I mean the I mean the right producer note at the right time is amazing yeah you know to have someone who is invested in the show in you know usually a truly emotional way like they maybe picked this play or they you know it was like like they brought you into it thinking you would be the right fit for this work um but yet they're not in it hour to hour day to day and they're able to you know oh here's my baby i'm seeing it for the first time oh what's that whereas i'm like it's my baby you know and so and so that's Amazing, um, you know, and sort of, sort of like you said, it's usually going to be a very result-oriented note, and then my job is to figure out how to, in a processy kind of way, like, oh, it's not the fact that she's wearing red that actually isn't the note. Oh, it's that you know X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. No, and also those things that you know at the, at the, at the back of the house we're in your preview and we're like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and then you know, then the next day the note session turns into, you know, I had this thought. You know that moment? I'm not quite sure. You know, and in the back of the house you're like, jeez. <laughs> but because you again, you sort of have to sort of find a way so that you know that 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 it. That it doesn't feel. I mean, because actors are, are so sort of vulnerable at that point, and I mean, especially when you're in previews. And because what you don't want, you know, it, it, you can see that look in an actor's face when they feel like, "So I've been doing it. I've been I've been horrible in that moment. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I've, been out there. I've actually been embarrassing myself for weeks. <laughs> um, you know. So, and, and I actually find I don't know if you find this that in previews, there's a point. There's a point where it feels like you're, cre you're creating the show, and you're creating the show, and you're building, and you're discovering it, and you're creating and creating it, and then there becomes this point in previews where now it's sort of theirs, and now the notes are not sort of like, ooh, let's mm -hmm. try something new. Now the notes are like, start to become like corrections, and you be <laughs> start to become sort of, you know, and then you realize, you, you realize you have a sort of kind of limited period where that sort of, ooh, let's try, oh yes, oh that's a good idea, that's a good idea, and now you're asking me to change it. Yeah. Now it's not just like we're finding something new, now you're actually asking me to step back and change something that I'm actually starting to feel comfortable with. So it, it feels like, you know, there's there's a point in previews where you have to start start to sort of pick and choose Absolutely. what you're going to focus on. I mean, I mean, acting is incredibly biological, and, I, you know, I, I, I live with an actor, and and I and I and I can see it as he's working on something. You know, he he puts stuff together, and it's deeply idiosyncratic. And he's he creates arcs where you know, the, and these arcs are not on the page. These arcs are personal. Mm -hmm. And so then when you start to you know pull a thread that in my mind is just like, oh, this is a technical note. Just pick up the pace. He's like, oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> you know that, that that's my moment. You know, and, and so you. you and that's, Because as they should, they've created their own logic for why 
something yeah. is there. Or and, you know, and thank, every God, thank yeah. God most actors don't share that logic with me. Because that would, you know, <laughs> so much more. But, you know, for me sometimes it's, it's almost like, you know, a, you know I, I, it can be. I, I know it comes off as flippant. of like, just pick up the pace there. And that can be actually a really hard adjustment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do the best, how do the best, best producers support you throughout the process? It's funny. And, my, and what, or what yeah. do they need to know? What's, my husband is a producer. We've actually worked, to, we had met working on a show. We met working on Pajama Game, um, which was, and Jeffrey Richards was a producer on that as well. And that was sort of wonderful because it was actually sort of during the process of auditioning and then putting it sort of together. It's like, we, it's like, we have the same taste in that. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, I like that too. And um, and I feel like the, the and, and now we've sort of worked on some other projects together, but I feel like producers in general, the more that they can, you know, give you the support, but also, you know, you, you like a good parent, you you need producers to, to sort of give you boundaries, I think, mm-hmm. to a degree. Mm-hmm. You need, you know, a good producing also involves saying you can have that, you can't have that. And um, I remember one time I was assisting my brother and there was something, you know, he, he wanted to, he was saying, well, we should try this. And I said, oh, that we can't, you know, they're not going to do that. They can't afford to do that. And he said, don't play producer. He said, mm-hmm. ask for what you need and it's, they'll, have, they'll tell us it's what they can and can't. And so in a good way, you sort of need those boundaries of somebody saying no, you know, or, you know, if they say you need to cut 10 minutes off the show, okay. Or, you know, you, so telling you the things in, 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 a, in a clear way, um, but also, um, you know, knowing that you have that support and that we're the, we're the limits of that support in some ways. I think that's, a, that's an important part of it. And it sounds like from before, you were also saying not telling you how to do that. Giving you the goal, but not necessarily yeah. telling you what the solution is. Yeah, and I and I've and and I see and I see the way that that my husband Scott sort of does that a lot and says, you know, when there's there's like everything, there's smart ways. It's, it's producers, the, the best producers know how to talk to artists the way that directors also know how to talk to actors. Mm-hmm. So I've seen you know producers who really say, well, you know that means work, but you know that, you know, or you know that I'm not quite sure about that moment, but you'll figure it out. You know, so there are those those ways that they sort of can put the spotlight where it needs, and and I also think it's with producers that that sometimes I said he said okay to, I'll actually say okay tell me your top five things because mm-hmm. you know if the list gets longer and longer you just start to kind of tune out you know if it's this little thing and this little thing and that little thing, and so you know tell me your top five and then we'll, let's deal with those and then. Let's see if the little things go away, mm-hmm. or if there are if those little things persist and you still think they need attention. You know, so I think I think the best. Um, I always feel like directing is the, the basic of directing is, is deciding what to tell who when, <laughs> and that you know when when an actor is ready for that next bit of information and when they're not. And um, and I think that producing is the same thing, you mm-hmm. know, um, because we're putting ourselves out there in, in a vulnerable way as well. And so, good producers know when to give you that next bit of information and give it you and give it you in the right way and give it to you in time that you can actually deal with it and fix it. Anything to add? That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a couple last last questions, and then we will have a little bit of time for questions um, from you guys. Um, what has success allowed you? Because I think we can both say you're, we can all agree that you're very successful. 
or has it hindered you in any way? I mean, you know, it's 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 what I it's what I believe, with maybe one exception, um, in my career. I moved to New York 18 years ago. Um, uh, of of saying yes to the right projects and saying no mm. when when I'm when it's either you know and, and saying you can I mean I, I've said no uh, you know on, on on plays on projects where I would like to see them but not do them um, and you know I, I I definitely like to push myself outside my comfort zone but there's some things that I shouldn't direct or shouldn't live with for three months um, and I think I think success continues to allow me to do that. I think, I mean, one of the things I feel that, that I feel lucky enough about the sort of, you know, real theater community, and I mean, I know you sort of feel that from like being in the class of 2013 this year and the class of 2012 last mm -hmm. year, is that all those people that you've gone through this whole season with and that you've had all those numerous luncheons and events and, and awards events with, you're, you're now sort of part of that community and that sort of forever. And so I, the one thing I think that allows mm. us is that we can pick up the phone. Mm. And, and you know, it may not lead to anything, but I sort of feel like, you know, you can call up somebody and say, I don't know, what about this? Or do you want to do this, this project? Or how about this? And you sort of feel like it, it may not work out, but you sort of feel like you can... Um, you, you, you know, talk about the sort of the, the, the bold 24-year-old who goes right up to Des Mackinac or Anne Bogart, but that sense of like, you know, this person may never want to do this, but I can call them up and ask them, mm -hmm. and it's not, you know, and, and they won't be insulted, you know, and maybe they'll not, they'll choose to do it or not do it, or, but I can go ahead and, and say, how about this, you know, how about if we do this project together, or how about if you try this? And I sort of feel like that, that sense that you um, have permission to to even ask mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. I think um, is 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 a kind of is is a good thing yeah. to, to have a to have a seat at the table yeah mm -hmm. um, how about the significance or the desire for either of you to have an artistic home because you've both kind of had artistic homes over the years South Coast Rep and Club Thumb <coughs> and Roundabout and Encores how much did that help you along the way. And are our institutions still really offering that to American artists? I mean, a roundabout has been amazing. I started off, I choreographed the first musical they ever roundabout ever did was She Loves Me that Scott Ellis directed and my brother choreographed and I assisted him. And then I went on and choreographed uh, 1776 for them and then I choreographed Follies for them. And then they're the ones who gave, we, uh, with uh, Pajama game gave us a home. We had Jeffrey Richards was involved. We had Carrie, Harry Connick. We were ready to go. There was no theater for us. There was no room at the end. And Roundabout said, "Come, do it here." And you know, and then uh, it was after Pajama Game opened that Todd Hames came to me and said, "We have the we have the rights to do anything goes. Do you want to do a new? You know, would you like to do anything goes?" So I mean, the, so that sense of of I mean, they really have yeah. been loyal and uh, unbelievably supportive and, and nurturing for me and that's and that's great and the thought that I can now and I have you know brought them some ideas whether they happen or not but then you can kind of it is it's wonderful to have an artistic home like that yeah yeah absolutely you know and as a director of new plays to be able to go to a South Coast rep or or Steppenwolf I mean Martha called me up this year um, and and said you know what are some plays that that you want to do um, you know let's see if it's a good fit 
uh, and that's that's fantastic because there are you know there are um, there are plays and writers that I want to see out there, mm. uh, and you know sometimes you know for for whatever reason um, you know they aren't on people's radar until you know now I can yeah. put them on their radar. Um, you know, it's such a collaborative art form, you can't do it on your own, and to have an institution, you know, a, a few institutions, I mean, I feel I have that at Arena Stage, Steppenwolf, South Coast Rep, um, I'm enjoying getting to know Todd Hames, I mean, I, you know, I just sort of feel there's, there, I have that at Claret's Horizons, I mean, I feel there's, there are a few places where, you know, as you said, you can pick up the phone, and it, it you're taken really seriously, and you can bring other people along, mm. which is great. And these are other people that, you know, I'm not bringing them along be out of a gen, like, yes, it is generous, but it's not out of a generosity of spirit. It's a selfish desire to work <laughs> with these people and, you know, and have great institutional support. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any, last question, any advice that you have for developing directors and director choreographers? I feel like, you know, assist when you can, get in the room, because it wasn't, I mean, really, it was as an, as, as an assistant choreographer when you're on the other side of the, you know, of the proscenium, and you, it was like a foreign language being spoken out there to see how mm. directors talk to writers, how they talk to designers, how they run a production meeting, mm. how they, and because I was an assistant choreographer and then a choreographer, I got to kind of witness that. So I sort of feel like the more that you can kind of just be in the, somehow get yourself in the room and and watch it happen, I think, is, is, is the best thing. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. But then at a certain point, don't assist. Like, I, I do know, you know, there, there, there's some friends of mine who I think assisted a little too long and, and had a relationship with, like, one or two directors without, I don't know, sort of, like, getting that other crazy input, you know, and the, like, like, you know, and the, like, like the crazy input could be exactly what they need to spark, oh, this is a personal thing, this is like, oh, I've got to now do it this way, because that's similar, more similar to who I am, I think is really important, and, you know, sort of like what I said about working um, in an off-Broadway commercial general manager's office, you can sometimes get labeled as, that's a really good assistant, as opposed to, you know, at a certain point, you want to do your own thing, so it, it can... You know, at a certain point, you have to just say no. I remember uh, when I was still assisting a little bit, there was, I think it was through the Lincoln Center Director's Lab, because you're right, we, we don't actually know each other that well. Like, directors don't yeah. really know each other. And so there, you know, so, so that was definitely a, a, an organization where I met some directors, some peer directors. Um, and uh, I saw... Uh, a director, friend from the lab, and he was wearing really nice clothes. And I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking you're assisting on Broadway, aren't you? <laughs> you, you, you motherfucker, you're assisting on Broadway. <laughs> and, you know, and, and he said, yeah, and I, sh I really shouldn't be doing it. Like, I, I, you know, I said, it's fine, it's fine. But he, but, but, but he knew that it was like this seductive, yeah. you know, making much more money as an AD on Broadway than I certainly was making, you know, directing at Long Island University. Um, and where is he now? <laughs> He's doing fine. <laughs> but, but it's, you know, but there is that. Yeah. It could be dangerous. Yeah. That's true. Handcuffs. <laughs> um, does anybody have any questions? So, uh, speaking of uh, assistance, uh, when, you're, when you're looking through, through letters from, from possible assistance, 
what do you what do you look for or sift through and read through and what, what 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 do you look for when you're reading through letters from possible assistants and whatnot? I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I had a, a, a union observer yes, on did. Wolf. She's um, here tonight. Lori's here. Excellent. Yeah. Um, hello. <laughs> uh, and and uh, and it was great to have you know the union have an institution already say here are five people we think you should consider. Um, you know, so it, what you know, it, it wasn't blind, and that was very useful to me. Um, and I think I met with four of those five people, yeah. and not that I said no to the, the fifth person, it's like something else came up for right. that person. So, you know, sort of me, and it was it was a chemistry thing, it was, and then it came down to scheduling thing. Um, Lori was, you know, incredibly um, flexible and diligent, and she, I think, slept on her brother's sofa out in Chicago. I mean, she wanted to make this happen. And then two years later, she emailed me and said, it's coming to Broadway, can I assist again? And yeah. Of course. And I said, and you've got to ask them for some dough. You've got to ask them for some money. And that's, you know, you have to do that. Because, I mean, it was an observership the first go-round. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so what do I look for? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's more in the meeting of a person. Um, and it comes down to chemistry and comes down to int- like interest. You know, an, an, assist, an assistant for me, I don't have any set roles, like I, you know, and I, and I say that point blank to people that I meet with, of, um, you know, something will come up inevitably in a production, you will become useful, but you have to really, really love this play, and if this merely turns into observing, you have to be satisfied with that. And that can be really hard, and that's a temperament thing, yeah. and it's an interest thing, and it's a moment you know, in your year kind of thing. Because I remember I, I uh, assisted um, on, on one thing, and I was angry all the time because I didn't feel like I was getting, like, you know, my, my in. I was smarter than this. Uh, you know, and, 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 and I don't want my assistants to go through that. So it has to be, you know, they have to be willing to be observers, likely knowing that something else will take off. And, you know, for, for me, I mean, with musicals, and when you sometimes have two, maybe three rooms kind of going at once, you know, it's this that thing of having an assistant that you know can run the room without you in it and can possibly, you know, down the road deal with replacements or, you know, future companies and that kind of thing. So that, there's, the, there's that part of it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I sort of feel like I, I like people who are sort of very present and, uh, and positive and active. And, um, you know, usually as a choreographic assistant, I almost always use a guy because we need to work out partnering and that kind of stuff. But I always feel like there are the, there are the people who, when the coffee spills, jump up and get paper towels mm-hmm. and the people who don't. You know, whether it's their coffee or not. They're just people who go, that needs attention. And it's kind of just in their nature. And I like the people who sort of feel like whatever needs attention, you know, who you look around and there are people who are just like putting, you know, putting the chairs out, you know, or, or getting, you know, or jumping up to help the stage manager get the next set together. Because I'll do that too. You know, it's like, okay, let's, we're doing this next scene. Let's move the furniture. And I sort of feel like that kind of sort of just presence and, uh, and, and helpfulness is, you know, is a big part of it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Another question. Hi. Um, going back to 
the beginning, what has your experience been being women in such a male-dominated field? It's been good. <laughs> That, that I got my equity card with Susan Shulman with a, you know, I didn't know there were not there that she was like one of very few women directing musicals at the time. Um, so, and and certainly there have been a lot of you know women choreographers and now you know women director choreographers. But so I don't I don't really think I sort of thought about it much. I mean I think there's a there's a nervousness that comes the first time you have to sort of run a production meeting or something like that. But I think that's just. That's more just about experience than about gender. I find that it's sort of you know the more comfortable you are with the experience of it, then then that's that's you know that that becomes more more comfortable. I mean, I like not not anymore because my my resume now sort of precedes me. But I do remember um, uh, you know, and not that long ago. Um, but I do remember as a younger director sometimes in in meetings uh, with you know a, a, an artistic director, possible producer of getting you know it's not that they're sexist, but getting at times like a feeling of oh you would be much more comfortable if I were a younger version of you, meaning a young mm-hmm. a young guy and I you know and, it, and it's an energy thing it's a feeling it's a mm-hmm. it's, it's it's a little ineffable and. You know, I hope this doesn't get me into trouble. But, but you know, but, but it, it does. I mean, I mean, I, I remember thinking that. I remember thinking that this meeting would feel more like the beginning of a friendly conversation if we were, if if I were a younger mirror image of the person I'm sitting down with. So, do you try to counteract that at the time, or do you just? I mean, is there anything you do to try to mitigate that, or are you just? No, I mean, I mean, you've, I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a personal art form. It's a verbal art form. You've got to be true to yourself, and you know, and 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 some of those, like, like, in, in I think a few of those cases that I'm thinking of, that like by third meeting it was fine, mm-hmm. but you know, but it was like those early meetings. I like, and maybe it was me too. I mean, I'm sure it was me too. But like, like something uncomfortable was going on, and I do, you know. I do sort of think that it's it it uh, you know and it's and it's um, it's uh, I think it's I do think it's changing I, just just because um, as as there are are both more women directors uh, you know having those meetings with with some of those producers the producers get used to it like it just you know yeah and somebody like Jeffrey Richards has been really great oh about it. fantastic I mean, he's really fantastic, fantastic. About it. yeah. Um, this question is directed towards yeah. Um, it's about the line lesson. Um, uh, you had said something about when you're in previews and like you're kind of like in the back of the theater and you're just going like ah. And um, <laughs> and I, I, I want to hear about like your whole experience in the line lesson, especially coming off of such such success with Virginia Woolf. But I came and saw it during previews and you were behind me and I kind of remember you having one of those ah moments. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wonder, you know, like what happened from previews to uh, the to the well. Who is this guy? <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, that was it was it was a brand new play. You know, and it was seemingly a very easy play. It's two characters. It's a unit set. This should be, you know, easy. It was hard. 
it was a hard process. Um, and it was, you know, and, and, you know, in retrospect, most putting on most new plays hard. This is a really hard business. And it's, I mean, I mean, in, in, in that case, um, uh, Carol Kane, f fantastic actress, she had such a personal connection to Betty Davis, mm -hmm. whom she knew when she was in her early 20s, and she was putting so much pressure on herself um, to get it right, and get it right from like day one. And, 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 then, and then at times she just let that go, and it was unbelievably fantastic. Um, and you know, and meanwhile, the we uh, uh, Craig Lucas big rewrites, big 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 new play rewrites. So it was a, a really a really difficult, but you know, rewarding rewarding thing. So we, we did a lot of work in previews. There were uh, you know, I guess predominantly cut cuts that then would get rehearsed in the afternoon, and you know, and restaging, and, and, and you know, and, and learning from the audience. Of like, oh, I really want this this to still remain funny, so changing of tone and and things like that. But it was, um, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, it was like two and a half weeks, I guess, of previews, and the play really changed between first preview and opening. But some of those do. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what, what specifically, what do you, what do you want to know? Like <laughs> <laughs> maybe even just in getting up from table work, are there other, you know, is it right into the scene? Is it, are there other exercises that you do to get, you know, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I, 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 I wish I had that. I wish I had that. We're muscle. not British. Yeah. Not. <laughs> I really wish I had that muscle. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, you know, sort of, there, 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 there's also part of me that is like a, a Canadian wasp, just can't do it either. <laughs> somehow, somehow the Canadians are like a step away from the Brits, but even waspier. <laughs> it seems a little repulsive to do an exercise. I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the plays that I, um, I tend to gravitate toward are so uh, language-based and, and, the, and, and they're so, you know, it's, it's, it's as you, you know, the, 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 action, is, it, the, the action is the speech. Um, and and so uh, uh, the exercise just doesn't quite activate that. Um, and uh, it, I mean, you know, I I I, uh, I work in order. Um, I I think I stage or um, you know have people in motion, uh, and, and 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 we move through a play pretty quickly. Uh, you know, it's probably three, maybe four days of table work, then up on up on our feet. By the end of the first week, usually the first act is staged, um, and then end of the second week, we're dipping back into the first act. Uh, and you know, at least there's a physical structure. I love, I love it when we can go back, and it may be the wrong physical structure, but it is something to revisit. Um, and um, yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty quick. 
At first, knowing that it's not right and it's not lived in, and then it's nothing but time to then deepen, go back, and change. And does that give the actors, do you feel, a comfort level? Because they at least have something? Yeah, yeah. And everyone knows so. it's not, it's, it's yeah. good. Very yeah. rough draft, and you know, and the stuff that the, the stuff that sticks, you know, goes from being rough draft to actually that really works, yeah, or is really helpful. It's all, it's, you know, it's all what is useful. Yeah. Do you go in order? You don't go in order. No, yeah, I try to go in order with the scenes, and we do sort of like I said, like you know, by the end of the first week, we do a lot of tape work the first week, so by the end of the week, we could do a read sing through, um, and I try to go in order with the scenes, but with some of the choreography, you've got to you got to jump into those production numbers early on just because of the, um, you know, the amount of material to cover, um, even if you don't know where it's going to end yet. Or sometimes, you know, you plunge in with, um, with some, a part of a dance break, even if you haven't staged the song leading to the dance break, just because they've got to start figuring it out and getting it in their, in their muscles. I, c- I kind of can't wait to get it out of my head and onto, <laughs> into their heads so I don't have to remember it anymore. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but you know, but I think that that you know, as much as you can go in sequence mm-hmm. for sure. And I also found like like going back to another sort of higher profile project with Cleburne Park, um, because so many of my actors in Act One actually didn't have voice. My African American actors and my women, um, my 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 white women didn't actually have, you know, they didn't have power in that in that act, that um, it worked in order, staged it quickly, got into act two, staged that quickly, went to act one, scene work in act one, um, I could tell at times it was very frustrating. It was frustrating for four, you know, four people in my cast of seven, and then we would dip into act two. And just to like let some more people actually be able to, you know, not, not have to hold it. Um, so that was an, you know, an interesting lesson sort of just feel like responsible so that people um, yeah could could uh, could own the whole play you know sort of living too many days in act one would have been very very tension making hmm. we have time for one last question hi the, um, the casting process as a director is something I always sort of confounds me quite a bit and so I'd love to hear more from your processes of when it's been risky when it's been I mean, there's there's nothing better when the right person sort of comes in. I mean, I know when we were casting uh, Anything Goes, and there's um, uh, Lord Evelyn, you know, who is we knew we had Sutton at that point, and so we're looking for a Lord Evelyn, and a lot of times Lord Evelyn is just sort of just played like a twit, like a sort of you know Betty Hill character, and it's like. I wanted I wanted Reno to be happy at the end, and I wanted us to be happy for Reno at the end. So I wanted to have a Lord Evelyn that we actually we all could fall in love with, just as sort of she does, um, and not have him just sort of be a ridiculous sort of you know comic character. And we were seeing all these kind of wonderful actors, and and um, and you know they were all sort of charming in their way, and it was you know and it was one of those it's like oh, yeah I could see that yeah I could see that that could happen. And I remember turning to Jim Carney, and I was casting and saying, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's some actual British people we can see, and, and, and some actually, we brought in some British people. And then in came Adam Godley, who I did not know. And he came in, and he was so, so charming. And I don't think he had 
ever, I think he had played Cliff at a production of Cabaret in London, not the Sam Mendes one, but I think a different one. And, um, and he, you know, so singing wasn't his most comfortable thing. And he sort of, he, he, you know, he sang the song, and he was just so adorable. And I, and I remember, you know, I turned to Rob Fisher and said, can he do, can he do it, can he do mm-hmm. it, can we do it? And uh, because there was something about him that just had that sort of charm, and there's sort of nothing better than when you all look around the room and say, that that's our guy. And so that was, you know, in a way it was a bit of a risk because he really didn't, we didn't know if, you know, I, I had no idea what he could do physically and we had no idea, you know, vocally if he was going to really have the sort of confidence to do this. And, um, and it, and, but it threw a, luckily we had a long enough rehearsal process that he kind of, you know, got up to speed and because he sort of created this persona when he started mm-hmm. to sing and dance that allowed him to sort of go over the top in a way. So there's kind of, you know, there's, but that was one of those where we, it, we didn't know it till, till he came in the room, you know, and, and sort of basically, we, we all just, it was like, we all just relaxed and went, well, that's, that's it, you know, but it's, um, I, you know, and, and I think it is very important to, to cast everybody together. I mean, I don't know if I would have cast Adam if it wasn't Sutton, mm-hmm. you know, it, it had to, that had to work, you know, that pairing had to work specifically. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a big it's a big and important part of the job, isn't it? I mean it can really, you know, words and song coming out of one person's mouth, these are all truisms, you know, is gonna be very different than 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 coming out of someone else's mouth. Um, but but you I mean you know, in auditions, I mean quite often, especially, you know I find in the first round of auditions uh, quite often there are two or three people who are like, fantastic, fantastic. And there is something about that callback process mm-hmm. that one person usually just goes, and just takes off. And it just, it, you know, and thank God. Um, and it, it becomes very clear. And it's, it's something about, you know, that, that, that person just, again, it's a biological thing, just owning that language, owning that, you know, having the right carriage, and just, it, there's, there's a fit. There's a fit. Um, and it's, it's very exciting. Well, thank you both for being here tonight. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SDCF Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, the National Labor Union, celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members, and generous funding from the NEA, the New York State Council on the Arts, and the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council.